morning. Certainly a blessing to be here and to conclude this week of our studies together and thankful uh, to this congregation for the invitation uh, to come back again this year to be with you and to share in this labor and this work with you. It is a tremendous effort and work that goes on and uh, to all of those who haven't been publicly thanked uh, that have just quietly gone about serving and ministering behind the scenes, thank you. Um, every time we walked downstairs, there was food, um, no matter what time it was, and it was different food, and, and there were hands being uh, put to work preparing food to feed 150 people every single day, and um, that doesn't happen by accident, that happens because someone purposed with intention to be a part and contribute to taking care of what needs to be done for God's people. And all of those little things that may not seem important, I want to tell you, are very important to the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. And we have been encouraged to be a part of that work with you this week. Um, I do want to say, this work is a great sacrifice of so many. And I want to remind the congregation that your work, the investment you're making in these young people... It will come back as a blessing in God's kingdom. So continue investing, continue making the effort to host this meeting every year. Uh, I know everybody's tired. I know everybody's exhausted. Um, Compared to last Sunday, all the energy that was in the room, we're a little subdued this morning. But I I want you to realize that popcorn under the pews can be swept up. Uh, Water that comes out of the commode because you have 30 boys using one bathroom. The water can be dried up with a shop vac. You can buy a new shop vac. Um, All the items that are left behind at your house, Jeff and Angela, you can donate those to Goodwill. And they will take them and they will sell them and and put them to good use. So all of the things that happen at Seeing School and this work and this meeting are done with purpose. And I think that is a great testimony of God's faithfulness. That our lives matter. You and I have a purpose and a reason for being here. And, and as we examine God's faithfulness, and, and we looked at 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I have it memorized by the end of the week. I told you I'd have it. I've got it. Okay, But it's by that faithfulness of God that He has called us into something. He's called us into the fellowship of His Son. And, and that fellowship is a wonderful blessing, isn't it? I tell you, it's wonderful to stand up here and look out and see the pews filled with people this morning. And what a blessing to raise our voices together in extolling the name and praising our God. And that doesn't happen without God's faithfulness. And I hope you enjoy the blessings of being a part of a fellowship, a group of people with a like purpose and a like mission who all share in common the blood of Jesus Christ that binds us together. I want to tell you, Jesus did that so that we could do something for him. Jesus is gracious. Our Father in heaven is merciful. And we've studied that. But he's merciful because he wants us to go out and do something. He doesn't want us just to sit here comfortably within buildings and praise him and tell him how wonderful he is. He actually has a work for us to do that's outside of the walls of this building. And that work is to take the message of the gospel that is sanctified, redeemed, and set us apart into this fellowship and share it with the world. Because Jesus died for the sins of the world. 
And he wants every person to repent of those sins and to be born again of the water and the Spirit so that they can inherit eternal life. And wouldn't it be a blessing if this morning someone was to be added to this fellowship through their obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the opportunity that we have. That's what this week is about, is about planting seeds. And and maybe we don't see the fruit of what happens this week today or tomorrow or next week. But I promise you, when the Word of God gets into your heart and you're studying and you're growing and you're meditating, as Brother Scott worked with us on some techniques to meditate on the Word of God, as you're going to do those things, the Word of God is going to grow and you're going to get stronger and stronger. And you're going to start to see God's faithfulness in your life and and you're not going to be able to stop talking and sharing how wonderful He is with other people. Psalm 117, two verses. The entire psalm is just two verses. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We want to end this meeting this week, and I know I'm going to preach this afternoon, but I figure about half of you will be gone (laughs) So this is kind of the last opportunity to really talk about this idea of God's faithfulness with this large of a crowd. And I want you to understand, because of God's faithfulness, he says, praise the Lord, all nations. You realize the mission of the church is to take this message of the good news of Jesus and spread it everywhere we can. And we think about going to India. And our brother Scott has been, uh, and sister Donna have been involved with that work in India for many, many years. And he's traveled over there and seen the work with his own eyes and and participated in that ministry. And and what a blessing to take a message that has impacted our life in America to a foreign country and say, guess what? Whatever language you speak, guess what? The story of Jesus is the same. And there's salvation and there's redemption. And God is faithful. Praise Him with us. And to take that message to Nigeria, to Belize, to Europe, to Mexico. I want to tell you, that's the mission of the church. That's our responsibility because of His faithfulness. And when we truly are a partaker in His glory and His faithfulness, guess what? We can't help but praise Him. We can't help but tell other people. And sometimes we don't even have to say it. They can see it by the life we live. That there's something different that stands out, that opens the door. For us to say, you know why I live a different lifestyle? It's not because I'm a great person or I deserve it or or I want people to praise me. It's because my God is faithful and he'll be faithful to you. Now, are you participating in that work, in that ministry? You see, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6 says, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope from firm unto the end. You see, God demonstrates his faithfulness time and time again, and and we know he is that statement, that declaration that we make, he is faithful. And he says, you need to know I'm faithful because you need to have confidence. And this morning I want to ask you, are you confident in your faith? Are you confident in God? Are you confident in the promises of Christ? That when God says, I will forgive your sins, do you trust him? 
Do you have total confidence that those sins can be washed away and you can be made brand new? When Jesus makes a promise that he will be with you till the end of the world, amen, do you trust that he's always going to be with you? You see, that's the confidence that if we have that type of confidence, we're going to go out and tell this message about salvation in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 21, says, And having a high priest over the house of God. What's the house of God? We studied that earlier this week, right? Isaiah chapter 2, 2 and 3 gives a prophecy of the house of God being built in the mountains, right? And that house of God was what? It's His church, His people called out for a purpose, called out of darkness into light. And now we have a high priest being Jesus Christ who's over that house. And He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, full confidence, full trust. In faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he's saying, I stand firmly in it. I'm confident in that message. And guess what? My faith does not waver. And brethren, let's declare it this morning. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came to this world in the form of a man. And he was clothed in flesh. And he did miraculous works. And he taught the will of God. And he submitted himself to the perfect plan of redemption. And he offered his life on the cross so that the sins of the world might be forgiven. Do you believe that this morning? You better. I want to tell you, because it's true. And it's not just true because I say it's true. It's true because His Word speaks that message and His Word was inspired by Himself. And we can put full assurance and trust in that Word. And Satan wants us to doubt that Word. This world wants us to doubt that world because the minute we doubt, guess what? Satan can try to take an advantage, can he? Don't doubt. The things you know, know and trust. And listen to this. You don't have to go try every false way to figure out what's right. I've had someone tell me, well, how do you know other churches are wrong? Have you gone and visited every church? No, I haven't. But I want to tell you, when I know the truth, and I am confident in the truth, when I see error, it's pretty easy to spot. And I don't have to experiment with my faith. I want to tell you, when you experiment with your faith, you're taking a risk. Don't tempt God. Don't test Him. Know His truth. That's what Jesus said. You shall know the truth. You don't have to know every false way. All you got to know is the truth. And the knowledge of that truth will what? Set you free. Let's have confidence in the Word of God. Let's have confidence in what it is He promises to us. You know why? For He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And then verse 25, that passage we all like to quote, what? Be at church every time the doors are open. <laughs> Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Were you looking forward to this day? I want to tell you, I loved church every night this week. I loved worshiping God, but since last Sunday, there's been one day I've been looking forward to, and it's not because today's the end of singing school. <laughs> 
I've been looking forward to today because today's the day that we came around a table and we remembered what Jesus did for us. I want to tell you, God's presence with his people isn't in this pulpit. His presence with us is at this table. We partake of his flesh and his blood. And we can get into a long study at lunch today about what that means and the significance of that. But here's the basic point. We partake of his body and blood, therefore he's a part of us. And if he's a part of us, he's faithful to keep his word and that ought to motivate us to have confidence in him. And therefore, when we think about the great calling of the great commission, we can't be stopped. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, notice... This message, these are some of the last words he shares with his apostles and disciples before he ascends into heaven. He's proven to them who he is by the signs of his resurrected body. Thomas was able to see the the nail prints in his hand and and the the hole in his side or the wound in his side. and, And he was able to make that declaration, my Lord and my God. And now Jesus, about to ascend to the Father, listen to what he tells them. Go ye therefore. You see, because of what you've witnessed, because of what you're a partaker of, you go now. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. You know why I have confidence in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus? Is I know my Lord is with me. These aren't my words. It's His. And we can have full assurance and faith and trust that this message is the message the world needs to hear so that they might be saved, that they may enjoy a fellowship and they may enjoy an eternity with God who died for them. Is that intimidating? Yeah. Can it be scary? Yeah. When you share the gospel with someone, are you taking a risk? Absolutely. I won't tell you the risk is worth it. Because I want you just to weigh out, how could this play out if I share the gospel with someone? Maybe a friend of mine that I don't know where they stand with God, but I'm confident in my salvation and I want them to be saved, so I'm going to share this message with them and and I share with them the message of Jesus Christ. You know what they could do? They could reject it and mock me and make fun of me. I want to tell you, that would hurt, wouldn't it? Does anybody like to be made fun of? No, nobody enjoys that. I don't like to be mocked. And maybe my friend would mock me and say, you're a fool for believing in Jesus. And I may lose a friend, but have I lost my Lord? No. But maybe perchance I share that message with them and they say, hey, teach me more about that. Help me understand what you know. And then I can share with them the truth and, and then maybe they believe it. And they instill a faith in themselves in that. And they trust God and they're obedient to God. And then they share that with someone else. And all of a sudden, look at what you've been able to do. Because you've simply fulfilled what God called you to be. You know, when Jesus called his apostles at the beginning, they weren't very educated men. (laughs) They were fishermen. They went out and now they knew fishing. And they were skilled laborers. 
And they knew that world, but they really weren't theologians. And Jesus wasn't looking for theologians. Or else he would have gone to the synagogue and recruited the high priest. He didn't. He went to where? The Sea of Galilee. And he recruits these fishermen. And notice what Jesus promises to them. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. You know, in our culture, and our society, it's a very proud statement to say, I'm a self-made man. <laughs> I've worked hard and established myself and built my life. You know what Jesus told these two brothers? Hey, quit fishing. Come follow me, and I'll make you what you need to be so you can serve me. You don't know everything you need to know right now, but all you need to know is that I'm the Lord. And if you'll follow me through this process of transformation, I'll create in you a heart, a desire, and I'll give you all the knowledge that you need to go be productive fishers of men. And you know what Peter and Andrew said? We trust you, Lord. And they laid down their nets, and they followed Jesus. Brethren, are we ready to lay down our nets? Are we ready to not be so consumed with building a life for ourselves here that we submit to the will of God and allow Jesus to, to make us the fishers of men that he needs us to be? Because that's what it takes. It takes a desire to let Jesus work in your life. The Apostle Paul then, talking about his experience and, and his preaching of the gospel, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, a lot of times we praise men and, and women who go out and teach the gospel. I, I, there's nothing wrong with saying thank you, but don't praise them. There's been a lot of, of compliments given to me and, and Scott this week. Don't praise us. Guess, you know why we're doing it? Because woe to us if we don't do this. Woe to me if I don't go preach the gospel and the good news. That's what Paul said. I don't have a choice. Because I know who God is and he's revealed that to me and I have a message to share and it consumes every being in me, every fiber of me. That I can't help but go and preach this message. And then we talk to the church and this is our response. Me? You mean the Lord wants me to go preach the gospel? I've never been to preacher school. Neither have I. <laughs> the Apostle Paul had been schooled up at the feet of Gamaliel, but as far as his relationship with Jesus, it was revealed to him through Jesus, and then he went and verified those things with who? The elders and the apostles in Jerusalem. He can go to seminary. He didn't have to go through courses and lectures and all. He, guess what? He knew the will of God. I'll tell you, every one of you that's a member of the Lord's body has a role to play in the evangelistic mission of the church. Every one of you. And you may never sit down and deliver a Bible study. You may never get up and give a sermon or, or teach a lesson to large crowds of people. But your work and your ministry is purposeful so that the church might grow. I want to tell you this morning, you are a witness. 
for Jesus. You remember in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, before the, uh, Jesus ascends to the Father, he gives that great commission, and then he makes them a promise. He says, hey, you stay in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power. And that Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And you, why was that Holy Spirit going to come upon them? So they could then say, hey, we have the Holy Spirit of God. Look at how great we are. No, he says, because you're going to be witnesses. I'm giving you this so you can go do something with it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And no, we haven't had the miraculous pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon us because that's not how the Holy Spirit operates today. I'll tell you, when someone is born again of the water and the Spirit, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in them. I'm confident in that. We can talk about it, but I'm confident in that because the Apostle Paul said the very same thing. The New Testament confirms that idea that when we are obedient to the gospel, he gives us his Holy Spirit. Why do we have that? Yes, to guide us and to help us grow and learn and mature, but it also is a signal from God or a sign that we're his. And that sign ought to motivate us to go share that with other people. I want you to have what I know I have. I want you to be confident in God. I want you to know he is faithful. So you may be sitting there and asking, but but what can I do? I want to share with you a few things you can do this morning that will help the church in its mission of preaching the gospel. Number one, realize what you have. You know, one of the reasons people get depressed in this life is they forget the blessings they have. And they only focus on what they seemingly don't have. And they compare themselves to other people and they think about things that they wish they had that they don't. And and they get depressed and down. I'll tell you, those are real emotions and feelings. One of the first things we try to do with people like that is remind them, hey, count your blessings. (laughs) Think about good things. Because there are good things that God has done for you, whether you realize it or not. But you need to realize what you have and who you are. The first thing I want us to realize, we have the Holy Spirit of God. He gave that to us as a promise. As a down payment of what? Our inheritance and eternity with Him. And you have that if you're a child of God. Number two, you have the Word of God. How many copies? I know the congregation here is making sure every child leaves with a Bible in their hand again this year. Some of you have a collection of La Prada Drive Church of Christ Bibles at your house. How prevalent is this Word of God? It's here in our hands and we have it. We can study it. We can read it. We can be confident in it. And we can share it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We know that that faith that we so long to have comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. And if I have the Word of God and I have the Holy Spirit, what else do I need? I'll tell you what you need. You need confidence and boldness and a willing heart. Those things, you'll go out and preach the gospel. You'll go out and be an example of God's people to this world. Remember how powerful the word of God is. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have the word of God. I'm not scared about the lies on Twitter and Facebook. You know why? Because we have the truth. 
And God's word is verified and we can have confidence in it. And upon that, we realize what we have and we go preach this message. John 15, verse 15, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You see, you have his Holy Spirit, you have the the powerful word of God, and, and you have Jesus. What else do you need? You have the ultimate trump card in this relationship that you have with God. Be confident in that. Now, upon realizing what you have, number two, you need to care about souls. Because it's great for me to know and have confidence of having the Holy Spirit and having the Word of God and me having a personal relationship with Jesus. And if I don't care about other people, then I would even question whether you have a relationship with Jesus. But all those things I realize I do have don't make a difference unless I care about others. Winning souls is serious. You realize everyone that's in this audience this morning has a soul. You have an eternal part that God gave to you. And that eternal part will live forever. You see, the resurrection when Christ returns isn't just the resurrection of the good. It's the resurrection of everyone. And then there's a final judgment. And guess what? A division between those who what have been faithful and trusted in God's faithfulness and those who have been rebellious. Do you care that there are people that will spend an eternity separated from God? Does that bother you? You see, if that bothers you, that should motivate us to go do something about that. Because of what we've been given. And he that winneth souls is wise. It's wise to win souls. 2 Corinthians 5 and 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known... Uh, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. You see, hell is real. Uh, another study, another sermon, but you know who talked about hell, Gehenna, hell, more than anyone else in the Bible? The loving Jesus. You know why he talked about it? Because he loves humanity and he wants them to be saved. He says, sometimes fear is a great motivator. And if that's something that has to motivate us to do something to save other people, then guess what? Get out there and persuade men. But you have to care about their soul. And the last thing I'll say about this is, at some point, someone cared about your soul. Because somebody shared the good news with you and changed the trajectory of your life and your eternity. And now it's your time to do that for someone else. This also helps us to ask basic questions. And I want to give you very simple tools you can use when you think about evangelizing and talking to your friends and your loved ones about God. Number one, you could ask them, hey, where do you go to church? And I love it when I ask them, where do you go to church? Well, um, um, well, oh, it's over there. Oh, what's the name? Well, okay, you told me everything I need to know. (laughs) You really don't go to church. That's okay. Some people will just flat out say, no, I don't go to church. Okay, that's good. And information helps because then we know where we're at and what we're dealing with. You could ask them, hey, can I pray for you? Maybe you know something's going on in their life that's a challenge or maybe they're sick or ill or have a family member that's died. Hey, can I just say a prayer for you? That may open that door. Do you like to study the Bible? Then you ask them these questions. Hey, have you ever lied? You know what everybody's going to say? Well, yeah. Okay. Have you ever cheated? 
Yeah, I played Monopoly one time with my best friend, and I cheated. I, I cheated. Have you ever stolen anything? Yeah. And I like to tell them, so basically, you're a lying, cheating thief, is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, I, I guess so. How do you think God is going to deal with lying, cheating thieves? And then guess what you can say? Hey, do you want to hear some good news? Because <laughs> guess what? I was a lying, cheating thief too. But someone taught me about Jesus. And Jesus promised to forgive me of my lying, my cheating, and my stealing, and all the other horrible things that I did so that I could have a relationship with him. You see how just talking to people is a method and a way to show that you care about their soul and you can share the gospel. Number three, share your why. Now, we kind of have an aversion of sharing testimonies, and we don't get up in public services and, and share our testimonies. But I want to tell you, those are very powerful things to utilize when you're studying with people because people can relate to you. And talking to them about the great and wonderful things God has blessed you with in your life can be a motivator for them to ultimately open their heart to Christ. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You have to be able to express and communicate with other people why you have faith in Jesus. And a lot of that has to do with how has God worked in your life. And the common denominator is going to be the gospel. That someone shared that good news with you, you responded to that, and you were saved from your sins and arose out of that watery grave as a new creation. And then finally, do something. Do something. Send a text. Make a phone call. Send an email. Here, write a letter. Put it in the mail. I know stamps are like 60 cents now. That's crazy. So when you send me a card in the mail, I know, man, you're making an investment. That's 60 cents you've spent plus the price of the card. To, that's, that's encouragement. Do those little acts of benevolence and love showing that you care about people. Talk to them about serious things. We'll talk about everything under the sun. I'll tell you, we talk a lot about Texas Rangers baseball, especially this year. Man, they're good. It's fun to talk about them. We talk a lot about basketball. We talk a lot about the Cowboys. We talk a lot about, well, we don't talk about Aggies, but I know y'all do. So y'all talk a lot about Aggies. You know? Where's our time talking about things that are serious pertaining to our soul and our eternity with God? Let's talk about that. Because let me let you in on something. There's not going to be Aggies and Longhorns in heaven. <laughs> Christians are going to be in heaven. Let's talk about things that bring us together as the body of Christ, that provide encouragement and do something. Essentially, what we're saying is let your light shine. And that's what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to tell you, you young people, y'all are a light. And I know it's summertime, but as August gets closer and closer, you're going to go back to school. And some of your schools, I know, are very dark places. Don't be afraid. Be bold. Have confidence in the faithfulness of your God 
and shine your light. Because you never know who you might save by your example to others. I want to close with this. Luke 14. Now, Luke 14 is a challenging passage. Because throughout Luke 14, Jesus talks about discipleship. And if you remember, follow me, Jesus gives a couple of different parables relating to discipleship and, and what it takes to follow him. The first one he says is, you know, before you're going to build a building, what do you got to do? You got to sit down and count the cost, right? Because how foolish is it to start a project and you build the foundation and then you'd run out of money? Anybody ever have a construction project where you get halfway through and you run out of money? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I've seen it. <laughs> it's foolishness, isn't it? It's hard. And Jesus says, don't do that. Make sure you count the cost up front. Make sure you have what you need so you can build a complete building. Or don't start, because how foolish is it? Now you've wasted resources, what you did have, and you don't have anything you can use. And then he goes in and he says, you know, if you're a, a king and, and you have 10,000 soldiers and you know there's an opposing army on the other side of that valley and they're coming toward you and they have 20,000, you better do a quick evaluation of your 10,000 and determine, can my 10,000 whip that 20,000? And if we can't, I better go send an ambassador and we better make some peace or I'm going to be destroyed. And what Jesus is saying is before you enter into a relationship with me, count the cost because it's going to cost you. And then he talks about salt. And this one throws me. I, I, I get the building. I, I get the, 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 the warriors and the king going to battle. But the salt thing bothers me. But Jesus said salt is good. But if salt have lost his savor or his saltiness... Wherewith shall it be seasoned? He says, It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Think about the gravity of what Jesus is saying here. And I, I don't want you to leave here without, without understanding exactly what Jesus says. He says, Salt is good. Right? Is salt good? I don't think we have any cardiologists in the crowd, so salt is good. A little bit of salt, right? You ever get a fresh, hot batch of french fries, and you take the first bite, and they didn't put salt on them? What do you do? You quickly get, I need some salt. So guess what you do? You get a little pack of salt. What do you do with that salt? You sprinkle it, right? Just a little. On your french fries, you have a little bit of salt, right? Just the right amount. You see that? I have a little bit of salt, right? Y'all see that? Okay. And what does that salt do? That salt enhances the flavor of the french fries, right? And we'll eat them all day long. Think about that popcorn yesterday. Dale, Aaron, excellent job <laughs> on the popcorn. Plenty of salt, right? You ever take a bite of popcorn didn't have salt? I need salt because it enhances the flavor. We understand that. Salt for centuries and before our time where we you know, understand the, the chemical makeup of salt and then we produce it, it, salt was used as a preservative. 
It was used to enhance not only the flavor, but also the longevity of meats. And it was used to actually enhance the, the working of fertilizer. And you would put some salt in with the manure and the fertilizer. And guess what? It would enhance the, the chemical makeup and what it would produce and, and provide to the land and the crops that would be grown. And we've known that for centuries. So when Jesus says, hey, salt is good, but if the salt has what? Lost its saltiness, then all we have is little grains of sand. I hate sand. I know we live close to South Padre Island and everyone loves the beach. I hate it. You know why? Because sand gets everywhere. And for weeks you're cleaning sand out of everything. And that's what salt is if it's not salty. What's the point? What's the good? What's it going to do? Nothing. Jesus says it's not fit for the land. You realize salt, if it's not producing and doing what it's designed to do, he says it's not good for dirt. <laughs> you ever think something's not good for it? He says it's not good for dirt. Now, who's the salt of the earth? That's what Jesus said we are in Matthew chapter 5. You're a city set on a hill. You're a candle held up on a candle. So he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if we've lost our saltiness, what's the point? Right? Then he says, he goes a step further and says, it's not even fit for manure. Could you imagine Jesus telling someone, you would mess up manure? <laughs> that seems pretty harsh, right? That's what Jesus said. If you're not producing what I've designed for you to produce and for you to do, you would mess up a pile of manure. He said, it's good for nothing. And you say, well, what's the point? Here's the point. A little bit of salt that's seasoned, that is good salt, can be used for the glory of God. But I want you to in your mind, work with me this morning because this salt has gone bad. This is seasonless salt. This salt is not salty anymore. It's been exposed to moisture and there's no saltiness in it. So you know what? Sometimes we have good salt and, and then we take salt that's lost its savor. What good does it do to pour a lot of seasonless, non-producing anything salt on top of the little pile of saltiness that was accomplishing exactly what God designed for it to accomplish. Sean's nervous back there. You know why we like this? Because it's a lot. And a lot's good, right? More is better. I'll tell you, not if it's seasonless salt. Jesus said it would mess up manure. It's not fit for the land. Oh, but we like to tell people, hey, you know where I go to church? There's a lot of people. <laughs> I'll tell you, we have a large crowd this morning. Praise God. I'm glad you're here. But I want to tell you, if you're seasonless salt, it doesn't matter how many of us are together, we're not doing anything for God. And our world is more concerned with numbers and the size of piles than we are of being the salt of the earth. Brethren, let's forget about trying to build a big pile and let's be the salt. And if it's 40 of us that are the salt, we're going to be the salt. 
If it's ten of us that are going to be the salt, we're going to be the salt. If it's five of us that are going to be the salt, we're going to be the salt. And everybody else can worry about being a big pile of salt that's unseasoned. Maybe you've lost your saltiness. Maybe you have lost your heart, desire, and ability to produce something for the master who has called you to be the salt of the earth. Today's the day to reclaim that. Today's the day to say, Lord, no longer will I keep from proclaiming your name. No longer will I be ashamed of you. No longer will I stop my mouth when I have an opportunity to tell others about you. I'm going to proudly proclaim who you are to them. And you know why I'm going to do that? Is because I want to be who you called me to be. I will tell you, we can go out and accomplish a lot if we simply be who Jesus calls us to be. And this morning, guess what he's calling you to be? He's calling you to be his. We're going to have one more opportunity this morning for an invitation. That invitation is the invitation of Jesus Christ. It is not my invitation. It is not the invitation of this congregation. It is the invitation of the Son of God for you to come to him with your life, your issues, your sin, and let him make you useful for his mission and his purpose because he is faithful. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You want to be saved this morning? Come to Jesus. You need to be forgiven of your sins as a brother or sister in Christ, and you need prayers that you would be restored and that you would leave these doors today going out and being the salt of the earth. Guess what? We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll lift you up before God, and he's faithful to restore you to the joy of your salvation. But you have to come to him. He has already made the offering when he died on the cross, and now he's waiting for you. Won't you come? while we stand and sing.